Chapter 5 For one year Stig lived happily with the wife. And what a wonderful year that was! Stig had never been more contented in his whole life. He couldn't imagine how he'd ever gotten on alone. He made a large, comfortable bed, for which wife crocheted a fine new cover, just like her first one, only bigger. And this time, in among the sun and moon and the stars, she worked other shapes. Leaves, flowers, fish, birds, and the small animals Stig loved so well. The smaller blanket she folded over the edge of the bed, ready to warm their feet on cold nights. Stig also made a second chair, a deep, comfortable rocking chair for the wife, which looked so good he made one for himself. He put in another window to let in more light, and a shelf for wife's cooking pots. Every day he'd go off to work singing happily, and every night he'd come home to delicious meals and a clean and shining hut, and wonderful tales of the wide world outside. Sitting propped against the doorframe, he listened enthralled, marvelling at what the wife knew. It worried him sometimes, though, to think how far she'd travelled and how much she'd seen. So many wonders. Sometime, when she was in the middle of a tale, he saw something in the gleam of her dark eyes that made him fear. What? Only when he was going off to sleep at night would he admit what the fear was, that it was all too good to last, that one day she'd go back into that strange wide world never to return. But he dared not mention it, and wife seemed content enough with life. Sometimes she went with him to work, and while he was chopping away, she'd wander off into the trees, coming back with all kinds of leaves and berries and twigs. These she dried and ground and stored on the shelf beside her cooking pots in small glass jars she had taken from her big brown bag. They were herbs, she said, for making her cooking better. But once or twice, when Stig came down with coughing and the fever, she made drinks with them that cured him overnight. At the end of that first year, they had a child. A girl. A large, amiable girl. With a head shaped like an onion and a fuzz of yellow hair. Well, and isn't that wonderful, Stig exclaimed, putting out his great hand and gently patting the baby's head. If she doesn't look just like me. Wife nodded solemnly. Indeed she does, Stig. Indeed she does, she said, cradling the baby in the crook of her arm. She did not return Stig's happy smile. 
they called her Hilsa. When they took her down into town to show all the folk, they came back up again loaded with gifts. Clothes, a wooden baby tub, and a small patchwork quilt. Sig had refused an old cot, though. He'd already made a cradle for Hilsa himself out of finest oak, carved with figures of animals all around it, ducks swimming among tall straight reeds, rabbits, squirrels, otters, chipmunks, snakes chasing one another in and out of fern and vine, sparrows and cardinals, and blue jays and mockingbirds flying overhead. And the hoot owl that Stig liked so well to carve? He took the perch of honour above the baby's head, presiding over all. In no time at all, Hilsa was up on her feet and running around, and too big for the cradle. Which was just as well, for the second baby arrived. A boy, big and amiable, with a head shaped like an onion, and a head of yellow fuzz. By all that is wonderful, Stig exclaimed, ruffling up the baby's hair. If the boy isn't just like me, too. The wife, sighing, agreed. We shall have to bring a goat up from town, Stig, she said. Growing children need extra milk and butter and cheese for growing bones. Stig nodded, looking down at the baby. That one was big enough already, and getting bigger by the minute. Stock, they called him, and when they took him down into town to show, they came back up the mountain loaded with gifts for him. A tiny mug and plate, a gourd rattle encased in silver lattice that he pleased by Pinkle himself, and a small patchwork quilt. And a goat. A black and white nanny goat that they tethered at the edge of the clearing by the cabin door. Stig made a small bed for Hilsa along the back wall of the hut, and a chest to keep the children's things in. A year later, another baby was born. And the next, another. All big and amiable and looking just like Stig. Stig was delighted. He made the hut bigger, built more beds along the back wall, and made more chests for the children to keep their things in. The wife, looking not as content as Stig thought she might, did her part no less, tending the children, teaching the older ones the housecrafts, how to cook and to wash and sew, how to care for themselves and one another, so that when she went into the woods with Stig sometimes to find her special herbs and seeds and berries, or down into the town with him, the children were perfectly able to manage without her. Always children, she would say, always a body must be able to stand alone, just as the animals out there. And she would gaze across the clearing with a strange, faraway gleam in her eyes that reminded Stig of the early days 
when she'd spoken of the great world yonder. And the old fear came back that she'd go off again one day and leave him. But she couldn't, surely, he reassured himself. She wouldn't. They'd been together too long. Besides, there were the children to bind her to him, especially the sixth child, Horvin, born in a thunderstorm and not quite so amiable as the rest, even if he looked it at first glance. That one cried a lot, and no one would comfort him but the wife. Surely she couldn't leave Horvin, Stig thought, watching her rocking the child to sleep, or any of the others. So the more, the merrier. But after the birth of the seventh child, Stig began to change his mind about having so many children running underfoot. Wife, he said, this must stop. There isn't room enough or food to go around. But the wife only sighed and nodded, saying nothing. At the birth of the eighth child, large and amiable, with a head shaped like an onion and a fuzz of yellow hair, Stig grew even more anxious. Wife, he said, this must be the last child. The hut isn't big enough to hold any more. But the wife only sighed and nodded, saying nothing. Stig raised the roof beam and made a low loft for the older children to sleep in, leaving the latest baby to sleep in the owl cradle and the next to the latest one to sleep in Hilfer's old cot by the back wall. This way, with more room to move, things went easier for a while. But a year later, what do you know? But a ninth child arrived, looking as ever, just like Stig. Stig ruffled up his hair. Wife! Wife! When will this stop? He looked about him helplessly. Then seeing how solemn the wife was looking, he smiled and wagged his finger at her, pretending to scold her. If we have one more child, I'll have to pack you off back where you came from. But the wife didn't smile. She only looked down at the yellow head and sighed, saying nothing. The next year, to Stig's great relief, no child came, nor the next, nor the next. The spring of that year passed, and summer, and so came the fall, a time of rich ripe reds and golds and browns. Stig was at his busiest, taking wood down into the town almost every day, to bring back enough cartloads of grain and root for his large family's winter stores. Stock went with him. My right hand, his father called him. Even though the boy did drag his heels at times. Never mind, Stig told him often enough. Some's born woodcutters, and some have to work at it. But the second's no worse than the first. 
The days got shorter and sharper until, all too soon, there was frost in the air. All too soon, because the root cellar was nowhere near full enough to last the winter. Still, Stig kept going, working hard up and down the mountain trail with wood, until one misty morning in October, Stig awoke to find the wife's place beside him in the wide bed, empty and cold. He raised his head in the early light and looked around. Wife? He called softly. There was no reply. Maybe she'd gone up into the children's loft, he decided. He climbed out of bed to see, and noticed at once a small bundle lying in the warm hearth. He went over and touched it. It stirred and waved a tiny fist. Another child! The tenth and latest one, lying wrapped in that very first blanket, crocheted with suns and moons and stars, that the wife had brought with her those many years ago. And what a child! Dig lifted the cover aside. Its skin was yellow-brown and wrinkled as the flesh of an old chestnut, and its head was covered in dark brown hair. There it lay, squirming and kicking by the hearth, and looking up at him, Dig would swear looking straight up at him with already opened eyes that were quick and black as little buttons. He ruffled his hair, staring down at the baby. Why, he explained to himself, if it isn't like the wife. He bent down and picked it up, and as he did, something fell off the cover. Dig, frowning, stooped and retrieved it. Why, it was the wife's room on its leather thong. He turned it over and over, wondering what it could be doing lying on top of the newborn baby. The wife's room, her charm, that stood for her secret name. Stig looked at it with misgiving. During all the thirteen years he'd known her, she'd never taken it from around her neck, except that once, to show it to him. In sudden alarm, he remembered his threat to her. If we have but one more child, I shall have to pack you off back where you came from. He looked to the shelf. The cooking pots were still there, but the small glass jars were gone. He looked through the corner, where she kept her big brown bag, 
It was not there. With the baby still in his arms, he ran outside, across the clearing, and off to the left, where the trail led down into Platt. He raised himself up as high as he could, peering out through the trees. The trail was empty. Why? Why? Come back, he called. I never meant what I said. His voice sounded across the treetops, and the echoes went far on the high morning air. There was no answer. Hilsa, still in her nightshirt, appeared sleepily in the doorway. What is it, father? she asked him then. Where's mother? Fig didn't even hear her. It's all your fault, he scolded himself, still looking down the empty trail. You told her she'd have to leave, and now she's gone and done it. At that moment, the baby screwed up its face and began to yell. It was hungry. He turned and hurried back to the hut. Hilsa, he said, the goat, get some milk, quick. As Hilsa went for milk from the goat, Fig shouted again at the top of his voice. Forget what I said about the child. We'll manage. Just as many more children as you like, only come back. As the echoes died, the baby quit yelling, as though listening. Fig waited and listened too. But all he heard was the wind sighing through the high pines and rattling the broom pods down below. At last, sadly, he went inside and closed the door behind him. <laughs>